0: that's well, good to see y'all today. Appreciate y'all being here and the start of spring. Uh, obviously appreciate everybody filling in for Brian. People said uh, he missed Brian. I'm like, not really. Uh, he is obviously replaceable and, uh, <laughs> But all of us are, my friend. We all get replaced sooner or later, but it's just a fact of life, isn't it? Uh, if you're uh, here for the first time or just started coming, I'm David, and I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here. You're welcome to anything that we have going on here at the church. And just to kind of let you know, if you've just started coming first time or whatever, we're, we're in this series entitled Breakthrough. It's going to go through the end of April. And uh, Breakthrough is—the reason for this series, the purpose of this series, is to help us understand that Mark— uh, wrote an account of the life of Jesus. And his account of the life of Jesus can provide a breakthrough for people who either don't know him or who just started to follow him. And as I share with you, we, we're going through the, several weeks now, we've shared, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark probably wrote his around 60 or so AD, 58 to 60. Uh, probably got most of his information from Peter. And because Christianity was becoming more and more Gentile, those Gentiles were coming to Christ, he really wanted to make sure that they understood the gospel. Now, I realize all of those stories, all the gospel stories, all four accounts can touch anyone's life, but, but they didn't exist when Mark started writing this. So he wanted to make sure uh, they had an account. And today, you know, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to talk about breakthrough obedience. Because we're going to see an act of obedience that changed the course in nature of life, of history, of how people can come to God. And uh, doing that, I want to ask really a simple question. I think if you grew up in church like I did, you kind of take this question for granted. But for a lot of folks, if the church is new to you, if you just started coming, this question may be at the forefront of your mind. And here's the question. Did Jesus have to die on the cross to save us from our sin. I mean, we Christians always talk about, you know, we, we're sinners. We, you know, we sin from God. We need to be saved. We need to rescue, come back to Him, have a relationship. But did Jesus have to go on the, on the cross for that to occur? And so as we begin, you know, to look at that question and answer today from the passage that we're in, I want to start off by talking about an insight into the soul of Jesus, now, this seems like maybe a little, you know, super hyped up spiritual statement. doesn't sound like what I would normally say or maybe a little melodramatic or whatever. But you understand Jesus is going, in the passage you're going to be in, look at the words, talk about the word soul. And so we're going to have some insight, some understanding of his very soul. Now, when we hear the word soul in our culture today, sometimes, you know, we, we think of you know, who our person is or we'll, we'll think about our soul mate, you know, uh, that you know, we're we'll spending our life with. Kind of this understanding maybe the soul lives forever. In in, in the Greek world, in the the Greek language, Greek culture, the soul was the expression of the entire personality of a person. It was all the things that made them them. It was the soul. And in the New Testament, writers took that concept and added the dimension of relating to God and our soul as it relates to God. And so that becomes very important. And, And in this account today, This insight is to see the connection that Jesus had with the Father, the really important connection. And and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write about this account. John, writing much later, about 25 years later than them, 30 years later, didn't feel the need to write this account, but he was there. Peter was there, you know, so Mark can get his info from Peter, you know. And uh, to, to get to this passage, to fully understand it, I just want to lay out some basic understandings from our faith that we need to kind of know. Whenever you come into the context of a passage, it's something like this. It's, it's simple, but it can be hard to understand because there's elements of mystery to it that go beyond us. Because we have Jesus, the Son of God, praying to the God, you know, the Father. Uh, understand, first of all, God is a holy God. You always need to keep that concept of God, He's holy. Fundamental to what we believe about God is what God shares to us. Beginning back even to the Old Testament scriptures where God reveals to Moses, and Moses records the word of God, when God says, I'm holy. You be holy because I'm holy. Hey, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. To be holy is to be cut, to be separated towards himself. God is a holy God because he's complete, he's perfect, he's lacking in nothing. He is separate unto himself. And all the attributes of God, his love, his mercy, his justice, his compassion, his wrath, all of that come from the fact that he is holy. And holy God decided, an eternal God decided to create men and women, mankind, to have relationship with him, not for his benefit, but for ours. And for our benefit, this holy God gave us the freedom to worship him or reject him. And in the very beginning. When they realized, or at least thought, that they might be able to be like God, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. The basic sin of all of life, Genesis 3, we want to be God. We all want to be in control of our life. And a lot of you, if you had your way in the lives of other people's too, you want to be in control of them. Just admit minute, you do. Everybody would do things your way. Everything would be okay, according to you. And that's it. And so we have this separation. We have rebelled against God. We can't come into his presence. Holy God cannot have that which rebels against him. The sinfulness of us in relationship with him. And so God is doing what only God would do because of his mercy and love, which is part of his holiness, sends Jesus, the son, to come into this world. Now, you know, God is one God, one nature, but there are three personalities, three persons of God, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And God at one time is always united. There was not three gods, but he's one God at all times working in the three persons who he is, Father, Son, and Spirit. So the Son comes and the Son of God, God becomes something God had never been before, flesh, human. And Jesus now, as God, has the nature of God and the nature of humanity, not 50-50, but 100 and 100. He's fully God, fully man. And he tells us he came into this world to take sinful man and bring sinful man back to holy God. And we saw at the very beginning of Mark the first two messages you got to repent and believe in the gospel, and you got to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. But what makes that happen? What makes that work is the cross. And we have seen going through Mark that three occasions, at the last part of his ministry, on three occasions, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be dead, I'm going to crucified, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back to life. He's given them that essence. And so we pick up today, it is on the Thursday of the Passion Week. I mean, this is the next day, 24 more, four hours from where we're at right now, Jesus will be dead. I mean, uh, it, I mean, he will be dead in the grave. 24 hours, that's going to happen. And so Jesus has taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about him being in the upper room to do the Passover. John tells us he tried to salvage Judas. Judas didn't want to be salvaged. He went to betray Jesus. He takes the 11. He teaches them for a few hours. As Judas, Judas goes to the religious leaders and gets them and all get organized, they're coming to the upper room to get Jesus. At some point, Jesus leaves the upper room. And as he leaves the upper room, he is basically heading to the cross. But on the way to the cross, he makes a stop. He makes a stop to pray. And here's what you need to say about that prayer. The prayer provides a breakthrough in understanding who Jesus is and what his death meant. We can understand something about who he is from this prayer and what his death meant. So starting verse 32. They came to a place called Gethsemane. It means oil press. It's a, Another account says it's a garden. It's, evidently, Jesus went there quite often because Judas knew to go there when he went to the, empty, uh, the upper room and it was empty. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I pray." So he says, I'm bringing you guys. I want you to sit. I'm going to pray. Now, this is, this is going to see this prayer of Jesus. This is one of those rare times. We're going to see Jesus praying for himself. We don't see that. You just don't see that in the New Testament. You see him teaching us how to pray, praying for others, saying, Father, I know you know all things, but I'm doing this, you know, for their benefit. I mean, that's what you see. He's going to pray. And he took with him, it says. Peter, James, and John. He took three a little further. Now we know from all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he took the 11, he took eight and kind of set them up. They actually, one of those eight probably had a sword because two swords were with him. And, you know, watching, keep watching because they're going to come get Jesus and Jesus needs time to pray. And if need be, they need to keep him back so he can finish praying. Then he takes Peter, James, and John a little further. One of them has a sword. Peter has a sword. and So probably in that extra layer. So he takes them and he says, and it says he began to be, very distressed and troubled those words while not exactly the same or very similar. They in this context speak of deep emotional turmoil There was been a couple of times in my life once on behalf of my wife and once on behalf of my daughter When I was so overcome with emotion So overcome with the deep burden for them And what they were experiencing? that I was totally emotionally distressed and troubled coming before God, to that's all I needed to do. And he said to them, my soul, who I am, is deeply grieved to the point of death. I mean, the grief was crushing to the point that he felt it was such a way that it might kill him. And then he says this, remain here and keep watch. You guys stay and watch in another camp pray and, and just be alert to what's going on. They had needs. Then, verse 35, he went a little beyond them and he fell to the ground and began to pray. Normally back then, you prayed standing up with your hands raised up to God, and pointing to God. So overcome with emotion, so overcome with the stress he was feeling, he fell before God with his nose to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour, the, the hour that's coming, the death, might pass passing by. Lord, just kind of let this slip on past. Just go around. They had just got through celebrating the Passover. Here's the irony. In celebrating the Passover, they were remembering the time in Egypt when God passed over the houses of Israel who had blood on uh, on the lamb on the doorposts. They passed over them. And... All the firstborn in Egypt, the wicked, rebellious, who under Pharaoh, who thought himself God, to rebel against the one true God, paid the price for their rebellion because of a holy God, who could not allow that to happen, and their firstborn died. God passed them by. And Jesus was now saying, God, I need you to do one more Passover. I need you just to pass me by. And he was saying, Father, Abba. Now, we're getting into the heart of Jesus. The word Abba is Aramaic for father. I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of strange explanations for that. It's a word of intimacy. Uh, the best closest is maybe the idea of Papa, but I've even heard someone write that it's like the word daddy. No, it's not like the word daddy. It's not even close. Don't use the word daddy. I've actually heard people pray. I guess they thought they were hip or they were cool. All I thought is, oh, have mercy, pray. Daddy, just start off calling God daddy. Jesus tells you how to start your prayer to God. You know he tells you that, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. When you pray, this is how you start our Father. It's both the intimacy and yet the respect. He deserves all things. All things are possible for you. I know you can do this, God. Now, remove. In the Greek, that's a command. He's commanding God. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The cup is the same thing as the hour. And so what is the cup? The cup is the death he's about to experience, but it's not just the death, it's all that goes with it. It's the suffering, it's the agony, and it's the forsakenness of God, God abandoning Jesus. Now, there's always great discussion about what is exactly Jesus is praying for. And some people will say, well, he's not praying that he not die because Jesus isn't afraid of death. Okay, I got that. But you gotta understand the type of death he's about to experience. Right, just, he's human, right? Sometimes we forget he's human in every way you and I are human except you never sin. They were, and he knew what was coming because he was, you know, he was, everybody knew what was going to happen the crucifixion. They were going to, they were going to take a whip to his back and lay it open and just shred his back. I've heard many times said, describe, it looked almost like, like it was hamburger. I mean, it was just shredded. That alone would eventually kill him. You understand eventually as a human, he would have probably died from that. But then they're going to take him and they're going to give you the most cruel and vicious type of death possible, that on the cross. Listen, nobody wants to die that way. Don't kid yourself. You think Jesus, humans just like us, wanted to experience that. But that's not it, only. As he died, as he hung on that cross, we are told that he received, he bore the burden of all of the sinfulness of all of humanity for all of eternity, all of mankind. In other words, he who never knew what it was to sin, did not sin, but he became sin. For the first time, God experienced sin. Not in committing the act, but in having the burden, the guilt, and the price of sin placed upon him. But that's not all. We're not even through with that. Then on top of that, he was going to have, God the Son, was going to have God the Father forsake him and abandon him. Two weeks I'm going to preach from the passage where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God is holy and Jesus has now become sinful. That which is sinful cannot be in the presence and the relationship with God. And for the one and only time in all of eternity, the son was abandoned by the father. Jesus didn't want to experience that abandonment. Think about it. The son did not want there to be a second where he was separated from the father. That was the price he was going to bear. An eternity's worth of suffering in but a few hours. I got here this morning right about 6.30. Today I'll leave around 1.30. That's about seven hours. In less time than that, Jesus will experience an eternity's worth of separation from God. He said, Father, I don't want that to happen between us. But I don't want my will done. That's my will. I don't want to be separated from me. Did you think he wanted to be separated from God? Do you think, hey, Jesus wanted to be abandoned by God? Of course not. But God, what do you want? This matters more. And the will of God, this is the thing. The will of God is important because the will of God was to save us. And Jesus knew that. He said, God, I want more than what I want. I want what you want. Jesus was always committed to God's will. Here he affirms his commitment. He's not not having to have his arm twisted. God's not making him do it. He's not going reluctantly. He just wants God to know he doesn't want to be separated from the Father. But he's willing to pay that price if that's the only way. Then the next few verses, i got to go quickly through them. We're not going to talk about them much. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, who was supposed to be the rock. Remember a few weeks back, he's the rock. The rock was out like a rock. <laughs> Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The Spirit is willing. All about the flesh is weak. You know, we, we, we quote that all the time and completely out of context. Most of the time we quote that. It's like, yeah, you're wrong. Earlier, and he said, you guys, I'm going to go to the cross and you guys are going to leave me a few hours earlier. All those guys said, oh, Lord, we'll never leave you. We'll be with you 100% all the way. Because they thought Jesus was going to come and declare this great kingdom and they'd all be a part of it. And Peter said, Lord, I'll never leave you. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Oh, you're going to leave me. All right. And he's saying, Peter, (laughs) you need to be praying just like me. Because your spirit may be willing. But brother, your flesh is so, so weak and he went again and prayed saying the same words and again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him i mean they were just tired they couldn't help it if if he knew what we knew he knew this but if they lived today he could just turn the air conditioning down to the low 60s and freeze the people out because you don't fall asleep when it's cold that's why we have it so cold we don't want you to fall asleep I'm just following Peter and the other apostles. Let me sleep. Yeah. I'm following Jesus. I don't want you to. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping Interesting. It is enough. It's time's over. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, as the Messiah, is being at this very moment betrayed into the hands of sinners. How ironic it is that he's going to die for sinners and it's sinners who's coming to take him away. So he said, get up. Let us be going, behold, the one who betrays me. He said, hand. So here comes Judas with all those Romans and soldiers and the Jewish religious leaders. And he talks to them a while. And here's what he says in verse 48. Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber or a rebel? That's what that means. Every day this week, I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you do not seize me. But this is taken place to fulfill the Scriptures. Now, when he says fulfill the Scriptures, he's talking about the Jewish Scriptures our Old Testament. Now, there's not necessarily a particular verse to refer to, but in general, I tell you this all the time. And some of you never get this, but I tell you this, maybe almost at least once every two weeks. All that is in the Old Testament is designed to point to Jesus. He fulfills all that is there. The Old Testament promises something. The New Testament fulfills it. He said all this occurred to fulfill all that was promised. And verse 50 says this. And they all left him. All 11 disciples laughed. There was Judas who betrayed him. There were the 11 who abandoned him. There were the religious leaders who condemned him. And then there were the Romans who crucified him. And they did that. Because Jesus was willing to do exactly what the Father wanted. Because of who Jesus was and is, he's the only one who can save us. He's the only one. Because he's the only one who could fulfill the will of God. It's just him. So, here's the thing that we need to kind of see and kind of to get from this. In obedience to the will of the Father, God the Father, Jesus the Son, willingly, not under compulsion, willingly went to suffer... And die on the cross. He really went to suffer and die on the cross. There was no other way and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew. There's no other way. And he went. And he went in obedience to the Father. So, I want to bring us back to that question we asked earlier. Did Jesus have to die on the cross to save us from our sin? I want you to understand, in essence, this is what he's asking. He's <laughs> asking. Now, he didn't technically ask the question. I got it, but this is what Jesus is saying: "Father, is there any other way? You know, let it cut pass." He's saying, "Is the cross the only way to save people from their rebellion and sin?" And the answer is, "Well, yeah. It's the only way. Because if it wasn't the only way, then God wouldn't have had him do it, would He? Understand? This is important." The will of God is always consistent with the holiness of God. So if there was another way, then it would be inconsistent for God to force him to do this. It would be out of the realm of his holiness. The will of God is always consistent with the holiness of God. And so once you have Jesus, who understands that holiness, because he's experienced that holiness, his whole (laughs) existence on earth and then for all eternity. This is an affirmation that the suffering was needed. And he prays. And the prayer of Jesus is amazing. It's amazing when we think of any of the prayers of Jesus. And this prayer gives us insight into where Christ is. And where we have to be in that obedience too. Uh, In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful passage. It's probably, it's only recorded once in its entirety, in this entirety. It, it's, it's probably preached many times. My, my doctorate was in the Sermon on the Mount, you know. Um, and in there, he gives the model prayer. I'm amazed that when people struggle to find how to pray, all the studies out there on how to pray. I mean, people do these, I mean, I write books and I get it. And, you know, and, I, and, and what amazes me is how people, they go to the Old Testament. I go to the Old Testament and learn how to pray. A few years ago, there was uh, the prayer of Jabez. Oh, everybody was praying that. Someone came up to me and said, Pastor, what are we going to do with the prayer of Jabez? I said, I have no idea who Jabez is. I didn't know where to find his prayer. go, look it up. It's an obscure I know where it is. I can't, I'm just kidding. But here's this obscure prayer by this obscure guy in this obscure part of the passage. The scripture designed to deal with the nation of Israel and not us. Just actually understand this. Other than the importance of prayer and relying on God, that prayer has no connection to us. But Jesus' connection, and Jesus gives us this model prayer. And probably we become so just, you know, we pray it so often it doesn't affect us. Hear what he says. When you pray, this is how I want you to pray. Understand, Jesus is telling us, this is how you pray. Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. So the first thing he does is recognize who God is. Your prayer, you always recognize the holiness of God. You can recognize the goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, all of that. I got you. It's all there. Then the second thing he says is, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And what did Jesus ask for? The will of the Father be done. The second part of the prayer is that we place ourselves Right where God wants us to be, and then the rest of the prayer is what He's just doing that. You know, take care of our needs. You know, I mean, you know, provide us the daily bread we need. The reliance upon God, the Holy God, the Good God. Take care of us, provide for us, forgive us our sins because we want to be where God wants us to be. Let us forgive others their sin. That's the will of God. And don't lead us lead us not into temptation. Don't let us fall that way. Just we're to be where God wants us to be. Whenever I pray for people. I prayed this week, I have a close, close friend, high school, uh, school school-age friend whose husband's gonna die. may have died today, I don't know. And I'm praying, and I'm praying, Lord, I I want him to live, but God, more than that, I I just want him to be where you want him to be. Give comfort to the family, bless them, let them trust you, rely upon you, bring other people alongside them. Let everybody be, God, right where you want them to be. Too often, we keep praying to God, trying to get God to change his mind about something. Man, if we just pray a little longer, let's get a few more people. What are we always kid about? Let's pray a little harder. We joke all the time. Don't we? Let's pray harder. Because, you know, if you pray harder, it's going to get God's attention. That's pagan, right? First Kings uh, chapter 18, that's what pagans did. <laughs> you know what we pray for? Father, help me to know what you want me to do and be right where you want me to be. It's okay to pray for your needs. Like, God, that I've done that. I've done it all the time. But you know what Jesus didn't say? God, please let this cup pass. That's what I want. And God, if I need to pray harder, I will. No, he said, you will be done. Let me be right where you want me to be. We live in a day and age, in a culture, where people think, oh, there's so many ways to come to God. There's all the religions out there. It's just, there's, they, all, they can't all be wrong. There's multiple ways to get to God. In the end, they're all the same. I, I hate hearing that. I hear that even in Christianity. There are people, there are people pastoring churches in our city who believe that. Other people say, you know, you know, in the end, God will let everybody in, or, or, or we're just all working towards our salvation. There are other ways to God. In this prayer, Jesus asks, "Is there any other way, God, to get to you?" And the answer is no, because if there was, Jesus wouldn't have. To go to the cross a few hours before this Jesus taught his guys the 11 left in John 14 6 which I quote all the time I quote this more than any other scripture I'm the way the truth and the life no one can come to God any other way just him Mark is writing stuff down Peter's sharing I see Peter there, you know Mark. I, I was there for all of that until I abandoned Christ. And I mean, I, and he's not proud of it, but he was honest. He shared it. He goes, "Mark, I saw it. I wasn't always asleep. I saw. I saw it. I heard part of it. I experienced it. And then I left him, Mark. I left him to go die without his closest friend near him." But Mark, I'll tell you this eventually. He straightened all things out. And after the resurrection, he called me back to him and he restored my relationship. Because that's what he came to do, Mark. To bring us back to God. Now what Mark doesn't disclose, Luke does. Not in his gospel, but in the book he wrote a little bit later, the book of Acts. A few weeks, maybe just a couple of months even, after this event. Peter was standing before the men, the Jewish leaders who had Jesus killed. In Acts 4.12, which actually the first time I ever preached for you, I came to you with a call. I preached that passage seven years ago. Peter says this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. By which we must be saved. So understand, when the son obeyed the father and went to the cross, he provided the only way to God. He provided the breakthrough. Some of you need that breakthrough today. Some of you today need the breakthrough Jesus provided. Did Jesus have to die? Yes. He did have to die, and he did die in obedience to the Father, and in his obedience to God. He shows us that we must have obedience to Jesus. For, if you remember, in the very beginning of Mark, weeks ago, months ago, we opened this up with Jesus saying, repent, believe the gospel, follow me. Repent, turn away from your sinfulness. That's why he came, to take your sin away, so turn away from it. Believe in the gospel, that is Jesus, trust me. And then spend your life following me. And so the question I have, have you done that? Have you turned away from your sin, trusted Christ and followed him with your life? If not, you can do that. Right now, and in a moment when we stand here, we're going to have a song of invitation. If you're new, that just means we're going to sing one more song. But if you want to come talk to one of us, you can. And ladies, if you'd rather talk to another woman, we'll, we'll have that, we'll have at least one, maybe two women up here to talk to you. If you need to give your life to Christ, it's time to do that. It's time to repent and believe and follow. And if you want to pray for someone who you, you love who needs to do that, that's fine. Or other prayer requests to join our church, that's fine. But here's the thing when you leave here today, when you walk out these doors, you need to have experienced the breakthrough the breakthrough that Jesus provided when Jesus obeyed the Father and went to the cross to die for you. And Lord, as we come now, having seen this beautiful encounter of Christ with you, the soul of Jesus laid bare as he struggled with the fact that he was going to be made sin, and then separated from you. We want to praise you and thank you that you sent him. And we praise and glorify you that he went. He provided the breakthrough. There was no other breakthrough possible. None. He provided it. So God, let us follow Jesus. Let us turn from our sin. Trust him to save us. And follow Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. But you stand? We'll be here. And you can come.